This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today in our 404th episode, I feel like that should be good luck or something, 404. Maybe it's bad luck. It's 404 an error page you get? Oh yeah, it is. <laughs> I guess it would be bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> but this week, Sabrina's going to go over some common dinosaur inaccuracies in media because there are quite a few. Yeah, they're kind of fun to look at. And we have Dinosaur of the Day, Kyrostenodes, and I've got a fun fact about just how influential Jurassic Park was. I'm guessing very? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Speaking of dinosaurs in the media. But before we get into all of that, of course, we would like to thank some of our patrons. And this week, we'd like to thank Kaylin, Sauropod Susan, Pipaceratops, Sophie, Albertosaurus, Scott, Arya and Tristanosaurus, Cezisaurus, Colton, and the Gray Allosaurus. Oh, thank you so much for all of your support. Again, it's because of our patrons that we're able to keep this show going. All right, so we're going to talk about common dinosaur inaccuracies in the medium. I'm keeping it broad because there's a lot of movies, of course, but there's other types of media that we'll be covering. Like TV shows. And art, comics. Dinosaurs are everywhere. They are. That's true. I want to start out by saying that paleo art and seeing dinosaurs in the media is important. It sparks our imagination. It gets us interested in dinosaurs and science. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. And of course, we know Jurassic Park did inspire a whole generation of paleontologists. I guess Garrett's going to break it down even further later. (laughs) So... What we know about dinosaurs, we also know it's constantly changing. We don't know everything. We probably never will know everything. Things like colors and all sorts of details that don't fossilize very well. Yeah, and then you've got big debates going on now, like did T-Rex have lips? Which dinosaurs had feathers? How feathery were they? (laughs) Yeah. Just as an example of the science constantly changing and how that affects the media, You look at the game Saurian, the T-Rex for the game underwent an entire redesign in 2018 to look more scaly, and that was after an entire redesign in 2017 that made it look more feathery. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I remember talking to them and they said, well, at some point we just have to stop and say, this is going to be accurate to the science of this time Mm -hmm. and just forget about all the updates because otherwise you can never finish. Yeah, it's just too much changing, too much what we know that keeps evolving. Uh, Also, what we know about Spinosaurus has changed and is still changing. 
We're still waiting on some papers to come out. Oh yeah, that one's that'll be another decade or so before we're settled in on what Spinosaurus looked like for sure. And even then, who knows? You know, we, we've talked about Spinosaurus in episode 300 and how we have a new neotype. And that was decades after the holotype was destroyed. And also in episode 344 in our second interview with Nizar Ibrahim, who found the neotype and he has been hinting at all the new changes yeah. and updates. But as an example, now we know Spinosaurus had short legs and was semi-aquatic, although there's a lot of debate still over what semi-aquatic means. Just how aquatic was its semi-aquaticness? Yes. So keeping that in mind, what we know about dinosaurs is always changing. That often makes how dinosaurs are depicted in art and media look out of date or it's just no longer accurate. But it was accurate, especially paleo art, if you think about it, is accurate to that time when it was made. Mm-hmm. That's usually the thing we complain about is when something is very outdated for the time. So, for example, something that's being depicted now, but it's using basically what we thought dinosaurs looked like in the 1950s. We're like, why? Yeah. <laughs> you should know better. But when it's the 1950s and it looks like what scientists thought it looked like in the 1950s, you can't judge them. They're doing the best they can. Exactly. And just to add a couple more examples, there's the Crystal Palace dinosaurs and the work of Charles Knight. At the time, these depictions, they're accurate, but now we know more and we know that's not actually what those dinosaurs looked like. But it's still really important that they were created and that people can still look at these works of art. Yeah. And just as an example, if you've been to the Crystal Palace, we now know Iguanodon doesn't look exactly like a giant iguana. I feel like the iguana or Iguanodon at the Crystal Palace looks sort of like the cross between a giant like proboscidean or, you know, like a giant, I don't know, elephant type thing mixed with an iguana because it's got such like bulky legs and its body, it, you know, is sort of a level back and its legs are underneath it. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, it is pretty iguana-like. Yeah, but was still really important because it got people interested in dinosaurs and they got an idea at least that these giant animals existed before we did. Yeah. By some accounts, it was like the first ever public display of paleo art, period, or even just a depiction of a dinosaur where someone could go out there and say like, oh, that's what they looked like. Yeah. Even if it's not the most accurate, it still lets you know that before humans were around, there were these other creatures and they were big and they were interesting. I love those. And I love that they're still around for people to enjoy. And same with Charles Knight's paintings. I think we've seen more of his artwork online than we have in real life. But it's awesome that we're able to access that. You know, he's got this famous painting of sauropods in the water because at the time he made it, people thought that sauropods were too heavy to live on land. And, you know, not everything that he even painted is completely wrong. For example, his painting of laylaps pouncing on another laylaps, that shows that dinosaurs were active, which was something that had been debated for a long time. Yep. Yeah, that's the funny thing, too, when depictions of it are considered contemporary at the time, then later they're considered inaccurate, and then it comes full circle and they're considered accurate again later. (laughs) Yeah, or at least aspects of it. Yeah. So yeah, just some examples of how this kind of art and media can be popular and influential and help expose dinosaurs to a wider variety of people. Now, with that all said, we'll get into some common inaccuracies that you tend to see in the media when it comes to dinosaurs. One of the biggest things, and a lot of people talk about this, is the pronated hands where the dinosaur's palms are facing downward. 
So in other words, they're facing like they're going to do a push-up, not like they're going to clap. Exactly. Sometimes it's known as bunny hands or zombie hands. Those were a couple of new terms <laughs> they found. <laughs> it's not always inaccurate. There are quite a few dinosaurs that could pronate their hands, but for the most part, your Cretaceous theropods couldn't because they were more like wings, or at least in the orientation like a wing. So they were going to be more like clappers. So their hands are facing each other, not facing the ground. Yes. So usually when people are saying, oh, these dinosaurs didn't have pronated hands, they're often referring to the carnivorous ones yeah. or theropods. Especially T-Rex and Velociraptor. Those often get depicted with T-Rex maybe more than everything with the two fingers mm -hmm. sort of parallel to the ground. That's not how it was probably. Sometimes you see this too if people are doing some dinosaur impressions. Like I've seen this a lot on TikTok videos, which are still really entertaining videos, but you've got the people that kind of put their hands up by their shoulders and the hands are facing downward and mm -hmm. acting like a T-Rex. That's not quite how it would go. <laughs> not Still fun to watch. Any depiction of a human imitating a T-Rex is going to be pretty wrong, but... That's true. I guess we're, we're capable of pronating our hands and keeping them where dinosaurs would, so we might as well do it accurately. Not to say we've done our fair share of inaccurate dinosaur TikTok videos too, so... <laughs> like our dancing dinosaurs. <laughs> That's just you dancing in a dinosaur costume. <laughs> Not at all accurate. <laughs> all right, so moving on. Next, there's the feet. Herbivorous dinosaurs, such as sauropods, did not have elephant feet. Their feet did have padding, but sauropod feet also had claws. Also, dinosaurs mostly walked on their toes. It's known as digitigrade. Mm -hmm. They didn't place their full foot on the ground like us humans. We're plantigrade. And part of the confusion here could be because dinosaur ankles are mistaken for knees, especially in those bipedal dinosaurs, because their ankles are so much higher up than a human's ankles. Yeah, so it looks like a knee that's bending backwards, but really it's their ankle and their knee is much higher. So they have both the knee and the ankle sort of at third segments of the leg. Mm -hmm. Then there's the uh, feathers and skin. You know, the skin is not always depicted as accurate. On dinosaurs, sometimes it looks a little bit more wrinkly like an elephant skin. Herbivorous dinosaurs did have rough, scaly skin, and some had spines and armor because they needed more defense. Think ankylosaurs and stegosaurs. And then carnivorous dinosaurs, some of them had feathers or tiny scales. And we know that salurosaurs had feathers. That's that group that includes raptors. And of course, there's the question of how much skin they had, which I know we talk about as shrink-wrapped dinosaurs, where... If they have too little skin and it's really tight around them, it makes them look really weird because it's like their skeleton is the only thing they have, like super emaciated dinosaurs. Yeah, no body fat. And there's this book, All Yesterdays, by Darren Nash and C.M. Kozman, John Conway, and Scott Hartman, where they depicted modern <laughs> animals as shrink wrapped, like hippos yeah. and whales. And those animals look completely different. My favorite are the birds that they did it to because... You know, presumably a velociraptor, for example, might have had feathery arms, so it would have looked like a large limb. And just like a modern bird, it looks like they have large limbs with their patagium and then the feathers all over it. But if you shrink wrap just the bone, it's just like these weird sticks yeah. sticking out. And that's basically how a lot of people depict raptors, right? As like just these really skinny arms sticking out. It's like that's not necessarily just raptors. Yeah, dinosaurs in general. It, mm -hmm. So that's what the book is about is like maybe we got it wrong with dinosaurs. And there was more soft tissue covering, similar to what we see in living animals. Yeah. 
Although I have seen some paleo art now that's gone too far the other way where they add like a ton of mass, for example, sauropods with really thick necks. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's, that might be a little bit extreme with that huge neck on a sauropod. That's a lot of weight to hold up. But again, it's, it's hard to know. It is hard to know. Then there's the posture. Sometimes dinosaurs are depicted as dragging their tails and being slow and sluggish. We see this in earlier depictions of T-Rex. Uh, again, at the time, it was accurate for the time, but that kangaroo pose mm-hmm. where the tail is like a third leg. Yeah. Also known as a tripod posture, that would probably have dislocated its joints. Yes. I mean, kangaroo are weird, and they're pretty much the only things that do that. Other animals do not use their tail as a leg. <laughs> <laughs> we tend to stand on our feet, maybe use our forelimbs but not so much the tail. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes we also see dinosaurs like Triceratops with the sprawled limbs, but Triceratops would have needed to walk with its legs underneath it for support. That's another one that's changed a little bit over time, sort of gone back and forth, because now they think Triceratops' forelimbs would have been a little bit sprawled, more so than other dinosaurs at least, not fully out like a lizard, but a little bit out just based on the way we look at the bones. Yeah, and... And you do see that change in paleo art over time. Uh, Sauropods are sometimes shown as having more bendy tails and necks where the neck and tail could wrap around the body. And I get it. Um, We see a lot of like in logos and modern stuff and it's because it looks cuter. It's also from somebody who's tried to design some dinosaur emoji for our Discord server. It is hard to do a sauropod one because they're so long That if you can curl the head and the tail around, you can make a nice little circular type emoji. It doesn't have to be 10 times as long (laughs) as it is tall. Yes. But, well, no, in real life, the necks and tails were stiff. So if the sauropod was bending its neck and tail that way, it would have broken. Probably, yeah, if it bent that far. But things like diplodocids and stuff had fair, you know, they had the whip-like tails. They They could could move. They had some movement. But maybe not like into a full circle. Yeah. Just (laughs) degrees of things. A lot of dinosaurs are like that too, where they get depicted as more flexible than they really were so that they fit properly into frames. Sometimes with sauropods too, we see their necks as more vertical than horizontal. In most cases, sauropods held their necks more horizontally, like Mementosaurus. It's very, so long. You know, how could it possibly lift its neck that high? Mm Mm-hmm. But there are some exceptions, like Giraffatitan. Yeah, with that one, the big clue is the angle of the back, because Giraffatitan's got the really long front arms, or front limbs, <laughs> front legs, mm-hmm. and much shorter actual legs in the back. So you can see, and the pelvis too, has got the inclined sacrum. So you can see that incline, steep incline along the back, leading up to the shoulders, and then presumably that continued into a more upright posture, just like Brachiosaurus in Jurassic Park. But most dinosaurs, like Brontosaurus, your favorite, and Apatosaurus and Mementosaurus, and a lot of those were more just sticking straight out. And then there are some that were way down at the ground, like Nigerosaurus, where it looks like they were just a lawnmower, basically, yeah. eating at ground level all the time. Sarmientosaurus, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you can see some of these types of depictions in like Rudolph Zallinger's The Age of Reptiles mural, which... Is a very impressive mural. And again, at the time, it was accurate based on what we knew. And it's still a very important mural. But these sorts of depictions of dinosaurs as slow and sluggish may have led to the term dinosaur meaning something that's old-fashioned or out of date. And that's a term that we hear all the time. 
I think also, yeah, that slow lumbering and extinct, there was this presumption too that evolution was going to better forms. It was kind of one of the early ideas about evolution that, you know, we're an improvement on everything that came before us in like a qualitative kind of way. And therefore dinosaurs were bad and inferior and that's why they went extinct yeah. and were replaced by mammals and eventually people that's not what we think anymore we know it's a lot more random and there's all sorts of other stuff and going on before we knew how they went extinct yes and before we knew that they were basically giant birds <laughs> and probably warm-blooded and quick moving and all that kind of stuff speaking of giant birds the size sometimes dinosaurs are depicted as bigger than they actually were so, for example, you've got the Velociraptor in Jurassic Park, which was based on Deinonychus, which Gregory Paul had synonymized Deinonychus and Velociraptor in his 1988 book, Predatory Dinosaurs of the World, and Michael Crichton included in his acknowledgments Predatory Dinosaurs of the World for Jurassic Park, so you know he was influenced. That's how that came about. Mm -hmm. Apparently, Crichton eventually apologized to John Ostrom, who was the one who named Deinonychus. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's a really good piece of trivia. Yeah. And Deinonychus helped change what we thought about dinosaurs. It helped us see them as more active and dynamic. Mm -hmm. So back to Velociraptor. Velociraptor was more turkey size, and it had feathers, possibly for thermal regulation or display. But Deinonychus was quite a bit bigger. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as big as the Deinonychus, or I should say the Velociraptor, maybe, <laughs> in mm -hmm. Jurassic Park. It's sort of like everything in Jurassic Park seems to be scaled up by 50 to 100% its size, with the exception of Dilophosaurus, which is weirdly much smaller, although it could be a juvenile, I suppose. That was going to be my next point, yeah. <laughs> I, I will say Utah Raptor. Turns out Utah Raptor was about the size of the Velociraptor in Jurassic Park. Yes, but that was discovered after Or they right made around the, movie. the time. Yeah. yeah. There are some clever quotes from, I think, Steven Spielberg saying something like, we created the dinosaur and then they found it. Yes, and we have an interview with Jim Kirkland, who I don't think appreciated that quote. <laughs> it might have been Phil Tippett who made that expression when we interviewed him a while back. Hmm. Seems like something he might say. But yeah, so sometimes dinosaurs are depicted as bigger than they were and then sometimes smaller. Like you said, Dilophosaurus in Jurassic Park. Uh, Dilophosaurus also didn't have a frill, nor was it venomous. The way that it was depicted in the movie was to show speculative behavior and kind of to show us that we can't know everything from fossils. Garrett, actually, we went into more about dinosaur venom in our fun fact in episode 371. Just basically, it's unlikely that dinosaurs had venom, but some of them may have been toxic. Yeah, sort of like self-defense toxins are more likely than injecting venom through the teeth or spitting venom like Dilophosaurus because there are some fossil indicators for that and we don't see it with Dilophosaurus. So the simple answer is it probably didn't do that. Yeah. But it's hard to prove it didn't. As a side note, Jurassic Park did get the Dilophosaurus head crest right and that crest was possibly for attracting mates. Another um, inaccuracy type thing that we see is like, dinosaurs as these reptilian monsters and they're fighting. Sometimes they're depicted as monsters, more reptilian. And a lot of times we just see dinosaurs fighting each other and not really see much of their other behaviors. Oh, I see. You're talking like Godzilla style, just like a rage monster. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes they're shown as fighting each other, but they didn't exist at the same time. 
Oh yeah, that's a very common thing. Like everything that was extinct was around at the same time. Yeah. That comes up a lot. I mean, you see that in Fantasia, there's a Stegosaurus and a T-Rex fight, but they lived further apart in time from each other than T-Rex and us. Yeah, all of the Stegosaurus fossils were already fossils by the time T-Rex was around. There's nothing left to fight. At Jurassic Park 3, there's the Spinosaurus and T-Rex fight. They lived a few million years apart, though we'll say that's a little bit different because the Spinosaurus and T-Rex in the movie were engineered. Yes. They were meant to be living together. They lived a lot of millions of years apart, tens of millions of years, and continents apart. (laughs) Yes. But as a side note for that fight, big carnivores, they may have fought each other, but it probably wouldn't have been the best thing for them because both of them could have gotten seriously hurt. Yeah, it doesn't happen much. You don't see a polar bear fighting a grizzly bear or a lion fighting a hyena or something very often. Usually the bigger one comes up and the other one leaves and there's more of a standoff and then one backs down because what's the point Yeah, (laughs) in getting injured over nothing? Most carnivores don't feed on other carnivores. <laughs> yeah, they're more <laughs> opportunistic. Yeah. You go for the easy meals. And then the last kind of common inaccuracy that we see or rather hear is dinosaur sounds. They're not always very accurate and that's because we don't really know how they sounded. But our best guess would be that they sound more or less like a big flightless bird or a big crocodile which is more of a rumbly or booming type noise, and certainly not a roaring sound like a lion or an elephant, which is often what they use. Yeah, so if it was more bird-like sounds, it could be low murmuring or it could be hissing like geese. Oh yeah, hissing, that's true. So dinosaurs probably weren't generally that loud, and they also probably didn't walk around with their mouths open all the time. If you look at how living animals act today. Yep, and just in general, sort of combining those two, the sounds and the fighting all the time, Animals in all movies seem to roar right as they're about to attack something. Mm -hmm. Nothing ever does that. (laughs) Right, because you want to sneak up on your prey. You don't sneak up and then finally right when you're about to attack, scream at the thing. You stay silent the whole time. Mm -hmm. The roaring is for competition between other species or scaring something off, something that's already dead or trying to find a mate, things like that. That's when you make noise. You don't make noise when you're hunting. Everyone who's hunted probably knows that. You try to stay as quiet as possible. Yeah. But it is more fun to see them attack, I guess. Yeah. 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 You know they're coming. You want to warn those other characters. That silence of horror movies, though, is pretty great. Something (laughs) creeping up and you can see it and you can't hear it, though, and you know they can't hear it. Mm -hmm. They did a little bit of that in the second Jurassic World movie, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. With the Indoraptor, it did some sneaking around without roaring. Yeah. It was pretty effective. In the first Jurassic Park, too, I think, with the raptors. Oh, for sure, yeah. So obviously, when you talk about dinosaurs in the media, Jurassic Park and Jurassic World come up a lot. <laughs> We've got some examples of dinosaurs in movies and TV shows. This is not an exhaustive list, but we have seen most of these shows, and we do recommend most of them. And it's really cool to see how the dinosaurs in these shows have evolved over time. Just like with paleo art, you see it in other forms, too. Mm -hmm. As a quick side note, if you are looking for something to watch, we do have a list of 32 movies, documentaries, and TV shows that is posted on our website, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And we'll get into all those movies in just a moment, but first, we're going to pause for a quick sponsor break. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. 
As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, Mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a Brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. (laughs) Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now in these movies that we're about to list, The dinosaurs are often based on what we knew from fossils, and then there's some speculation or artistic licensing, which is to be expected. So I'm going in chronological order here, starting with Gertie the Dinosaur, which came out in 1914. That's an animated short film. It's the first animated film to feature a dinosaur, and Gertie is the sauropod who performs tricks. She's part of a vaudeville act. Yeah. And she also eats tree trunks whole, which we know... Wouldn't have happened. I think did she, is that the one that eats some roots first? I can't remember. I think we watched it recently, and the roots were last. Oh, the okay. I love Gertie. Yeah, Gertie is one of my all-time favorite animations. Period. Let alone dinosaur films or whatever. <laughs> so great. It's just a adorable sauropod, and it's like all mischievous. And there's a character telling Gertie what to do, and Gertie's like, "No!" And it's just like throwing things and eating <laughs> trees. And it's great. Yeah, why would a sauropod listen to a human? Mm-hmm. <laughs> then there's Brute Force, which also came out in 1914. It's a short, silent drama film. It's a story about cavemen and dinosaurs. It's done in a dream sequence. So that makes it a little more realistic, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those typical cavemen dinosaur. Like we were talking about, everything that's extinct was around at the same time. Yeah. Even applies to early humans, apparently, but in most of these. If it's in a dream sequence. Yes, that's true. And it may be the first live-action dinosaur th- film. Yeah, I think the best way to describe it is a slurposaur. Mm. I've heard the term, which is basically you take a living lizard or reptile, you stick some stuff on it, and then you shoot it, you record it, and then reproduce it as much larger than it actually was. 
that's the way they did it. At least they did some of the animals. I'm not sure if they did the dinosaur as a Slurpasaur. I think the dinosaur itself may have been a puppet. It's also got the first example of a threatening dinosaur in a film, Ceratosaurus, who scares the caveman. Then there's The Lost World from 1925. That's a silent film about explorers that are exploring a lost world. And it features stop motion by Willis O'Brien. You can see Allosaurus, Trachodon, Triceratops, Agathalmus, Brachiosaurus, Brontosaurus, Edmontosaurus, Stegosaurus, Tyrannosaurus. I do think that the Allosaurus has five fingers in that movie. Yeah, there were definitely some updates to be done afterwards. But Willis O'Brien is amazing. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of the prelude to King Kong. And there was going to be, after The Lost World, another dinosaur movie because people liked the animation in it so much and it's so realistic. It's great. People want to see dinosaurs in movies. Yeah. Still do. I love Willis O'Brien and all of his work. Yeah. And that's such a long list of dinosaurs. What do you name, like seven or eight dinosaurs in that movie? Nine, yeah. The previous two things before that, there were just one each. The Lost World really leaned into the dinosaurs and just really expanded on their interactions. You've got predators fighting with herbivores and predators fighting with predators and all sorts of really cool interactions. Love that one. One other inaccuracy in The Lost World is Willis O'Brien in general, the difference between Tyrannosaurus and Allosaurus also got sort of blurred from time to time. So I think Tyrannosaurus usually had three fingers in their depictions of them. Mm. We hadn't found a complete arm, I don't think, by that point. So I don't think we knew, but you'll see three-fingered Tyrannosaurus and a lot of that stuff. Yes, and you see that again in King Kong in 1933. So you got more stop motion by Willis O'Brien. Stegosaurus, Brontosaurus, Tyrannosaurus. The Tyrannosaurus there had three fingers. It was modeled after an outdated 1906 painting. And some filmmakers thought that the three fingers looked better. But the T-Rex having two fingers was an educated guest that's based on its relative Gorgosaurus. But it wasn't until 1988 it was confirmed that T-Rex had two fingers when an intact hand was discovered. Yeah, that was a lot longer. Yes. Oh, Pex-Rex in 1997, that's where they found a third metacarpal hand bone. But it wouldn't have had a visible third finger. So we don't know why it had that third metacarpal. Yeah, probably like vestigial. Yeah. Uh, Also in King Kong, the brontosaurus is carnivorous in the movie. It attacks (laughs) some of the men and bites one to death. That is not accurate. (laughs) Or maybe. No. (laughs) They're recognizing the ruthlessness that is the sauropods. I don't think so. It wouldn't bite a person to death. You're right. It would step on him or hit him with its tail. On accident, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. If you're threatening it, it might attack you. Maybe. Moving on, there's Godzilla, 1954, where sudden giant dinosaur-like monster appears and wreaks havoc on Japan. Yeah, that one always comes up when I'm looking at lists of dinosaur movies, too. And Mm -hmm. I never really think of Godzilla as a dinosaur movie. It looks kind of like a stegosaurus to me, an upright one. That's a good point. I forget about the weird stegosaurus plates that it has on its back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I guess, yeah, overall it is shaped sort of like an allosaurus or a T-Rex or something in its upright. Dinosaur-like. Yeah. Kangaroo dinosaur yeah. with stegosaurus plates. <laughs> <laughs> There's One Million Years BC from 1966. That's an adventure fantasy film. It's about cave people and dinosaurs. So 
There we go again, people and dinosaurs. I mean, it's a million years ago, so obviously <laughs> you've got cave people and you've got dinosaurs. Neither of those were around a million years ago. I mean, there were hominids a million years ago. Yes. But the ones in the movie are just like clearly homo sapiens. Right. So, you know, obviously non-avian dinosaurs and modern people never coexisted. Neither of them were around a million years ago either. Yes. <laughs> But you could say dinosaurs and people coexist if you count birds. Touche. Non-avian dinosaurs and people did not. <laughs> and oh, in that movie, you can see Allosaurus, Ceratosaurus, and Triceratops. I think those are mostly actual puppets, but they might have thrown in a Slurposaur or two in there as well. Those were pretty <laughs> popular in the 50s and 60s. Then we've got the TV show The Flintstones from 1960 to 1966. It's an animated sitcom where dinosaurs live among humans and with humans. Personally, I like Dino. That's that prosauropod-like dinosaur pet, but they have Dino acting like a dog. Yeah. I mean, maybe, I guess. Yeah. We don't know if it would have been possible to domesticate any of the dinosaurs. Yeah. People domesticate birds, so maybe. True. I'm sure the dinosaurs weren't speaking English like they do in the show, though. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Then there's Land Before Time, 1988. Oh, yeah. I love this movie. It might be my favorite dinosaur movie. And it's definitely the reason I got into dinosaurs. It was the first dinosaur movie I saw, too. I probably saw it for the first time when I was three or four. Mm -hmm. I love that movie. I mean, there are some inaccuracies, like the characters. You got Littlefoot the Apatosaurus, Sarah the Triceratops, Ducky the Sorolophus, Petrie the Pteranodon, and Spike the Stegosaurus. They wouldn't have been living together as friends because they didn't all live at the same time. <laughs> Whether or not, even if they suspend disbelief and say, well, they would have all gotten along mm -hmm. because they're all on their own in this weird environment, they wouldn't have even been around at the same time. Yeah. The movie did get some things right, like Sharptooth, the T-Rex, only had two fingers. It's true. I always thought, and this is clearly wrong, but I always thought Spike was an ankylosaurus, probably because I liked ankylosaurus so oh. much. And if that was the case, they pretty much could have coexisted, except for Littlefoot being an apatosaurus. Yeah. If Littlefoot was a titanosaur, you could have a titanosaur, a triceratops, maybe a saurolophus, or at least some kind of hadrosaur, mm -hmm. a pterosaur, and an ankylosaurus together. Yeah. So you could almost get there, but not with the ones they picked. But yeah, Spike's a stegosaurus. Yeah, his name's Spike. There aren't really any spikes on Ankylosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> then, of course, there's Jurassic Park from 1993. And we've talked a lot about this one before and already a little bit in this episode. But a few other things to point out. T-Rex, it would have seen you even if you stood still because it had large eyes and better eyesight than a hawk. Also, when walking, T-Rex probably didn't shake the earth. <laughs> maybe it did when it was running. Yeah, maybe. But they had, like what you were saying before, they walked on their tiptoes. Mm -hmm. And that literally does mean that just like when we walk on our tiptoes, that's more energy gets absorbed in the steps and their feet actually sort of flatten out. There's been lots of cool studies on how birds walk and how T-Rex probably walked and how the very tips of its tiptoes would touch the ground first and then slowly roll onto the rest of its feet. A lot more bending and dynamic than our feet are mm -hmm. when they touch the ground. So... Pound for pound, they would have walked a lot softer than we did. And on top of that, they just would have been trying to hunt. So yeah. you can't be stomping around, they shaking everything. They want to be everything. stealthy, yeah. yeah. Also, the noises that it made when it was roaring, 
probably wasn't accurate. In the movie, it was a mix of something like elephant, tiger, and alligator sounds. I always hear the elephant and, oh, I thought it was a lion. A tiger, they were kind of the same, I guess. I've heard different things. But again, Jurassic Park, it was a very important, influential movie. They got a lot of things right, like dinosaurs being smart and active. Yep. And making that mainstream idea. And their posture, I think, was a huge improvement. Most of the other stuff before and after Jurassic Park has T-Rex and kangaroo pose. Mm -hmm. That was the first one where you really saw its spine parallel to the ground. It's not perfect. And a lot of people who study T-Rex have qualms (laughs) with the depiction of T-Rex. But it looks pretty close. It's a really good depiction, I think, of T-Rex. And the fact that they made a life-size puppet of it is like the coolest thing ever. (laughs) Speaking of the kangaroo pose. Next up, I've got Barney and Friends, which ran from 1992 to 2010. <laughs> Talk about going from a, like a legendary thing to just <laughs> not so great. <laughs> well, I don't think we were the right age at the right time for Barney. I don't know. If it started in 92, we yeah. probably were. No, I think you had to be a little bit younger to mm. in- enjoy Barney. Could be. I always thought Barney was terrible. Yeah, but I know people younger than us have liked Barney. and. You know, it was a really popular children's show, and it was educational. If it got them into dinosaurs, I'm all for it. Yeah. I think I had already seen Land Before Time by then. Yeah, so it's hard to go from Land Before Time to Barney. (laughs) It is. Or from even just like a dinosaur book to Barney, I feel like. Mm. But still, a way to get people into dinosaurs. And we can't say for sure that T-Rex wasn't purple with green spots. Yes, exactly. But it is probably unlikely because, again, it was hunting and camouflage is a good thing to do. On a more realistic note, there's Walking with Dinosaurs from 1999. That's a six-part nature documentary that portrayed dinosaurs. And some of them that they featured, they included Coelophysis, Diplodocus, Laelinosaura, and Tyrannosaurus. They consulted a lot of paleontologists to make this, and it was pretty accurate for the time, though sometimes the sizes of the dinosaurs were a bit off. Yeah. Walking with Dinosaurs is amazing. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen Walking with Dinosaurs, you got to watch it. Puppets. They use so many puppets. <laughs> There's also some cool CGI. They did that really interesting effect where they would shoot a landscape and they sort of inserted dinosaurs into it mm-hmm. CGI wise. So it feels really like you're looking at dinosaurs in this ancient ecosystem, which is great. Then there's Dinosaur from 2000. That's a Disney film about an iguanodon that gets adopted by lemurs. And then the family joins a herd of a whole bunch of different types of dinosaurs in search for their communal nesting grounds after a meteor crashes into Earth. And the dinosaurs in that film are pretty accurate and still hold up today. There's a lot of paleontologists, if you read online, that agree. There are a few minor things like, yes, iguanodon had a beak, not lips, but they did need to take some liberties so that the characters could talk. Yeah, that's one of those common problems. If you want people to watch it and relate to the dinosaur characters, the creators always want to give the dinosaurs these human-like expressions so that you can read their faces and really see the emotions. So that means giving them more brow movement than they would have had, giving them lips if they're talking, giving them eye movement, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I know they consulted with some experts on that movie too. Yeah, we rewatched that one recently. It was good. I Mm -hmm. liked it. Then we've got King Kong, the 2005 version. It's one of the remakes. (laughs) One of the many remakes. Yeah. It's a really epic adventure film. I'd say it's really pretty. In the movie, you've got Vastatosaurus Rex, which is a fictional version of Tyrannosaurus Rex. 
One thing that I found while researching this is, you know, even if this predator chased after humans, would it have been worth it? Because humans would have been pretty small, not much of a meal. Yeah, I don't know. Humans sometimes hunt rats and stuff to eat or yeah. squirrels or if it's easy for really slow and easy to catch. That's true. <laughs> we don't have any armor. Yeah. <laughs> it just sort of depends. How hungry was it? I suppose, though, that is a good point about would it have chased us because a lot of times animals eat things that are familiar to them because it's risky to eat something you've never seen before. Mm -hmm. So if you're living on an island for a long time and you've learned what to eat and then some random thing comes through, the instinct is not to go try to eat it immediately. Yeah. Because <laughs> you don't know what it is. It could be poisonous to you or it could have some sort of self-defense you're not aware of or all sorts of different problems. Yeah, that's a good point. Unless it's driven to this new thing by hunger. Of all the King Kong movies, the original is definitely my favorite with the Willis O'Brien animations mm -hmm. and the big stegosaurus and all that cool stuff. Whereas the new ones, they're not even really dinosaurs. They somehow got less realistic. The 1933 version going on the science of the day is better than the modern one. Where I guess they're trying to make it like more extreme. I think their movements got more accurate. That's true, because it's like better CGI and stuff. Yeah, and it's still a very pretty movie. Yeah. Then we've got Ice Age 3, Dawn of the Dinosaurs from 2009. And I just wanted to mention that one and call out the parental care of the T-Rex and her three babies. Because Tyrannosaurus probably did care for its young. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. nice that they included that. That was a nice touch. There's Terra Nova, a show that ran from 2011 to 2012. A sci-fi drama show. It's about people establishing a colony 85 million years in Earth's past because in the mid-22nd century where they live, it's too populated and polluted. <laughs> so the <laughs> ultimate off-grid. You go 85 million years back in time. Yeah. We watched it when it was out. <laughs> I mean, I'll watch almost anything with dinosaurs. And that one I really enjoyed. Yeah. I like the survival in the wild sort of format for a show, especially if you throw dinosaurs at the mix. Yeah, some of the dinosaurs included Brachiosaurus, Carnotaurus, and Kylosaurus, and then Axaraptor, I think might be how it's pronounced. I can't remember anymore. It's a fictional species, hmm. also known as Slasher, because it had this whip-like tail and colorful feathers. Yeah, that was fun. I liked seeing how the dinosaurs and the people interacted, and it was mostly about the people trying to keep the dinosaurs out of their camp, but then, of course, you've got like the people who are trying to do insidious stuff with the dinosaurs and different plot lines like that. But the dinosaurs in general were really well designed, I think. They looked really nice. Yeah. The slasher was a little different because it was fictitious, but... That's true. The rest of them. Then you got The Good Dinosaur from 2015. That's a Pixar movie about Arlo the Apatosaurus, who befriends a human. And in, you're in this alternate history where the asteroid doesn't hit Earth, and Arlo's family are corn farmers. <laughs> <laughs> Now, the Doodling Dino has a really great video on YouTube that reimagines Arlo to look more scientifically accurate because mm -hmm. Arlo looks a little bit too cuddly. I might be thinking cuddly because I've got an Arlo stuffed animal. Yeah. <laughs> it does look cuddly. It's very smooth and soft looking. Yeah. yeah all rounded. Doesn't have any sharp edges on it. <laughs> yes. So in this reimagining of Arlo, Arlo gets some skewts, more details in the skin. Just a little rougher. I did like the Styracosaurus a lot in the movie. Oh, yeah. That was my favorite character, too. It's got all the birds perched on its different mm -hmm. horns. <laughs> they had the fun group of some sort of theropods that were ranchers, too. 
I think they might have been T-Rex. Yes. We got Butch the T-Rex rancher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are pretty fun. In general, though, there were not enough dinosaurs in that movie. <laughs> For a movie about dinosaurs, just only dinosaurs, not that many. It was a pretty simple storyline. And I think we heard that it started out more complicated originally with all sorts of cool concept art and stuff. And then they decided it was too complicated. So they really like slashed the story down. Yeah. And they didn't have much time either. Yeah. And then it was like the worst received Pixar movie of all time. Yeah. Which is too bad. I still enjoyed it. At the very least, you got a cool pillow out of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Plus, I just, I like all the dinosaur movies. Yeah. And then we get into the Jurassic Worlds. So you got Jurassic World 2015, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom 2018. And by the time this episode airs, Jurassic World Dominion will have come out. But we are pre-recording this episode because we have recently had a baby. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Hopefully. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I won't get into all those movies here because we talked at length about all of these movies. Jurassic World, we talk about in episode 29, The Dinosaur of the Days, Indominus Rex. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, we talk about in episode 187, The Dinosaur of the Days, Indoraptor. And if all goes well, we'll have talked about Jurassic World Dominion in episode 394. I will say we do often bring up inaccuracies in the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World films, but... We do really enjoy all of the movies and the shows, and we appreciate what they've done for paleontology. Definitely. The two biggies are definitely the feathers and the size, I would say, of them. The rest of it's sort of nitpicky. It's mostly plot things like this one wouldn't have acted like this. This one could have seen movement, all that kind of stuff. But watching the depictions of dinosaurs in those movies is wonderful. That's why we always go to them as close to opening day as we can to see them in a theater the latest and greatest CGI of these animals that everybody wants to imagine. Yeah. They do such cool stuff. They do. And it's always like the first time you've seen this sort of thing on a dinosaur, like that kind of movement and all that detail. I love it. So we've covered a lot of dinosaur movies, but dinosaurs, as we know, we see them everywhere. So there's a lot of dinosaurs in other types of media, for example, comic books. And Alex Hastings, who has been on our show, evaluated 150 comics between 1964 to 2017 and found a lot of interesting things about how dinosaurs are depicted in these comic books. So the most common animal that he found was T-Rex. And then after that, you've got Pteranodon, which uh, isn't a dinosaur, but still got the Mesozoic creatures. Yeah, it was in his scope because he was just looking at paleontology in comics, mm -hmm. not just dinosaurs. Interestingly, a lot of theropods in the comics couldn't be identified to their specific <laughs> genus. Sort of Godzilla-like. <laughs> just some kind of theropod. There's yeah. a lot of raptors without a specific name. Mm. And then some other common inaccuracies include teeth that were drawn to have the exact same teeth from front to back, even in T-Rex. Yeah, because they should be different sizes and shapes mm -hmm. along the mouth, just like our mouth. We don't have the exact same tooth in the entire mouth. We've also got the wrong number of fingers and toes, the wrist pronation. Again, dinosaurs being clappers, not slappers. Yeah, the clappers, not slappers. I guess slapping is like slapping on a table. Yeah. Because slapping, you also do in a clapping sort of, is it like if you're slapping somebody? Oh, okay. But if you slap down, yeah. but you want to clap. And then sometimes they're depicted as too large. Often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, in other 
depictions and art and media and stuff. We've got, for example, the Sinclair dinosaur. Oh. The Sinclair Oil Corporation. It's an oil company. They do oil, gas, and motor fuel distribution. And they had the idea to use dinosaurs in their marketing since 1930. I think it's sort of tongue-in-cheek that oil is a fossil fuel and therefore dinosaurs. Oh, that could be. But really, just for the record, oil is not made of dinosaur bones. Fossil fuels in general are mostly made out of like plant material that has decomposed partially Mm -hmm. or gotten compressed and affected in the geological layers way down in the earth. Fossils aren't old enough for that. Dinosaur fossils aren't. And they also don't have enough organic material. Yes. But Sinclair dinosaur, the really well-known one, is Dino the Apatosaurus or Brontosaurus, depending on which year you're looking at it. And Dino's appeared in the Chicago's World Fair in 1933 to 1934 and was in the New York World's Fair in 1964 to 1965. Dino's also part of their logo and has appeared as a balloon in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in 1963 and in 2015. Oh, I didn't realize there was such a long hiatus. I remember in 2015, I didn't realize that they didn't do it after that or anything. Oh, at least not that I know of. Yeah. Dino's also been made into toys, and you can see fiberglass Dino's at Sinclair stations around the U.S. There's a lot of people who take photos with the fiberglass ones. Some of them climb on top to Dino sit. We've seen that on Instagram. (laughs) And Dino's a really cute dinosaur, but again, you got the tail dragging, so not the most accurate. It's a 1930s depiction of a sauropod for sure. Yeah. You can also see dinosaurs in rides at theme parks. So there are dinosaurs at Disneyland. You can see it when you're taking the train between Tomorrowland to Main Street and travel back to Primeval World. It's this diorama that was made in 1966. Now you do have the Triceratops in the sprawling position, and you've got Stegosaurus and T-Rex fighting. (laughs) They had a Triceratops, but they had T-Rex fight the Stegosaurus. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. Because it would have fought a Triceratops. Just Maybe it's because Fantasia had come out a few years before. Oh, That's my yeah. best guess. That's a really good point. That's got to be it. <laughs> so, you know, it's out of date by today's standards, but it's still fun to see. There's also Dinosaur, the ride in Disney's Animal Kingdom. That was built before the movie Dinosaur came out in 2000, but then they updated it after the movie came out to tie it in better. Oh, cool. Because people wanted that dinosaur animatronic ride. (laughs) Yeah. And that one uh, is more accurate than what you see in the train ride in Disneyland. The Carnotaurus is the villain dinosaur, just like in the movie. And actually, I think the ride inspired the types of dinosaurs that they put in the movie. But the Carnotaurus has the pronated hands. Then there's Jurassic World The Ride at Universal Studios, which was formerly Jurassic Park The Ride. I haven't been on that one. Have you been on that one, Garrett? Yes. I've been on it when it was Jurassic Park the ride Mm. a long time ago. My guess is the dinosaurs probably look the same as in the movies. It looks that way in the pictures I've seen, too. Yeah. So you've got Stegosaurus, Parasaurolophus, Compsognathus, Tyrannosaurus, Dilophosaurus, Velociraptor, and then, of course, Indominus Rex because it's Jurassic World. Yeah. I think that was like a log ride. But then there's the Velocicoaster now, too, which I guess is the roller coaster version. Oh, yeah, the new one. So yeah, you can you can see dinosaurs everywhere and they keep building new ones. Then, of course, there's dinosaur toys. Now, there's a lot of both accurate and inaccurate dinosaur toys. If you want to know more about inaccurate dinosaur toys, the best place 
to see it is the YouTube channel, Your Dinosaurs Are Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of the things that they talk about are like the teeth of the toy or mm-hmm. the colors or the body shape. Yeah. With, it's just like the drawings. Most of the dinosaur toys have the same you know, like consummate V taste. <laughs> Remember mm-hmm. that from uh, Strong Bad? The oh. consummate Vs. Um, <laughs> I think it was Trogdor the Burdenator had consummate Vs. Um, where it's just, that, yeah, everything has sharp teeth, right? Every mm-hmm. dinosaur, every toy, it's just those V-shaped white teeth on everything. Yeah. Whether it's a sauropod or if it's a velociraptor or a T-Rex or an ankylosaur, whatever. Even if it's supposed to have just a beak and no teeth, it's going to have these V-shaped teeth. Or a dental battery. No no dental batteries in toys. It's going to be the V-shaped teeth. I mean, oftentimes <laughs> these toys are still well-loved. Yes, a lot of them, too, are the same molds they've been using for 50-plus years. Mm-hmm. So you can find them and really recognize, oh, yeah, I remember that toy. <laughs> <laughs> Still making that, huh? <laughs> so that kind of covers a lot of different places and ways you might see dinosaurs in different media. And then we've mentioned paleo art, which is a little bit different. And paleo art is important. Paleo artists... They reference papers and they consult with paleontologists to produce scientifically accurate art. Yeah, a lot of times they're actually paid specifically for journal articles to make like the recreation Mm -hmm. essentially of the dinosaur based on the fossils that they found. The first image you see of a new dinosaur is often because of a paleo artist. And I think 90% of whether or not a paper gets covered widely in the press is if they hire a paleo artist to make a good drawing of it and distribute it with the press release. If you do that, you'll probably get your paper picked up by all sorts of media. If you don't, unless it's about T-Rex or maybe a velociraptor or something, a lot of times it gets ignored. No matter how important the paper is, it needs that paleo art to really express, especially to people that don't understand all the jargon. Mm -hmm. Nothing communicates what a dinosaur looked like, like a piece of paleo art. So just a few paleo artists, if you're looking for some good paleo art, this is not an exhaustive list, but Beth Sykin, Brian Eng, Jen Cotton, Mark Hallett, Mark Witten, Matthew Martiniak, and Scott Hartman are some good ones to wet your beak. There's also artists who make the games Path of Titans and Saurian that also pay a lot of attention to papers and talk to paleontologists. Oh yeah, definitely. And for even more paleo artists, Love in the Time of Chasmosaurus has a list of all the artists that have been featured on their blog. So we'll have a link to that if you want to dive even deeper. Plus the art channel on our Discord has a ton of great paleo art. Yeah, a lot of people on our Discord are sharing some great paleo art that they've either found or created themselves. Mm -hmm. Especially created themselves. A lot of talented paleo artists that listen and contribute to our show. Yes. So now we're going to pause for a quick sponsor break. And when we come back, Sabrina's going to talk about our dinosaur of the day, Kyrostenodes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. 
Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And now onto our dinosaur of the day, Kyrostenodes, which was a request from Crow via our Patreon and Discord. So thanks. Kyrostenodes was an oviraptorosaur that lived in the late Cretaceous in what is now Alberta, Canada. It looked similar to oviraptor, you know, walked on two legs, it had a long neck and tail, and a crest on the head. It's estimated to be around 8.2 to 8.5 feet, or 2.5 to 2.6 meters long. Wow, that's specific. Yeah, but Gregory Paul estimated it to weigh 220 pounds, or 100 kilograms, and Melina Perez and Laramendi estimated later that it weighed... 88 pounds or 40 kilograms. That's a bit of a difference. Yeah. Kirstenodes had a beak. It was probably an omnivore or herbivore. It had long, powerful legs and slender toes. And it had long arms and slender, relatively straight claws. It may have gone for soft-bodied prey and then would impale them and hook them with the second claw, which was unusually straight. And the prey could have been like grub or amphibians, reptiles, or mammals. Oh, so it's got like a fork built into its hand? Kind of, yeah. (laughs) Maybe more like a spear than a fork. (laughs) Yeah. The interesting thing, though, is if Kyrostenodes had large feathers on its fingers, because that's been found in other oviraptorosaurs, then it wouldn't have been able to use that claw to impale. Hmm, I see. So it's just, it maybe it did this. We don't know for sure. So that'd be a good one to find some actual feathers of, if we could, that specific species, because it would tell us a lot more about what it was up to. Yes. The type species is Chirostenodes pergracilis. The first fossils were found in 1914 by George Sternberg. He found a pair of hands. Lawrence Lamb studied the fossils, but died before he was able to name them. No. Oh. So Charles Whitney Gilmore named Kyrostenodes in 1924, and the name comes from Lamb's Notes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. The genus name means narrow-handed, and the species name means throughout gracile. Narrow-handed makes sense. If all you have is hands, Mm -hmm. you got to name it after the hands. (laughs) Yes. So weird finding only hands of an animal, too. Could you imagine you just find hands? Yeah, (laughs) dinochires. Yeah, exactly. It's so strange. doesn't happen very often. Usually you find like a femur, you'll find like some large bone, maybe some vertebrae, mm-hmm. teeth, but not usually just the hands. <laughs> there was another specimen found that included a set of jaws with teeth, but later that one was renamed to Richard Ostesia, and it's a dromaeosaur. It got renamed because Chirostenodes did not have teeth. Or at least we think it didn't if we've never found a skull. Well, other fossils were found that were later referred to Chirostenodes, and that includes some feet that were originally thought to be macrophalangia and lower jaws that were thought to be Cenonathus. In 1969, Edwin Colbert and Dale Russell suggested that Chirostenodes and macrophalangia were synonymous. Cenonathus was found to be an oviraptorosaur. Originally, it was thought to be a bird. And that was after the oviraptorid Elmosaurus was described by Osmolska in 1981. It was found in Mongolia. So that's how they were able to reference these other materials. Mm. How we found out it didn't have teeth. Yeah. Now, in 1988, Phil Curry and Dale Russell studied a specimen 
that had been in storage since 1923, and that helped to link all of these fossils. And so they were all considered to be chirostenotes. Cool. Yeah, that's the best thing. <laughs> you find a jaw over here and hands over there, and you think, well, they probably go together, and then you find the fossil that actually has both of them in mm -hmm. one individual. And you know they do. <laughs> in 1971, Joel Crockhaft named a second species of Cenanathus. At the time, he still thought that it was a bird. But Russell and Curry suggested that this second species was more gracile and it was smaller, so they named it as a second species of Elmosaurus, as Elmosaurus elegans. Hans-Dieter Seuss renamed Elmosaurus elegans to Chirostenotes elegans in 1997, but then it became Lepterhynchos in 2013. Hmm. And later studies found Chirostenotes and Cenanathus to be distinct from each other. Other dinosaurs that used to be considered to be Chirostenotes include Epichirostenotes and Anzu. In 2019, Funston and Curry described some newly found Chirostenotes fossils, including jaws, vertebrae, and parts of the hind limb. In 2001, Bruce Rothschild and others studied stress fractures in theropods and found that out of 17 Chirostenotes bones, only one had stress fractures, which isn't too bad, I guess. Yeah, one out of 17? Yeah. <laughs> Still seems not great. <laughs> other dinosaurs that lived around the same time and place as Chirostenotes included ankylosaurs, ceratopsians, hadrosaurs, and theropods. And other animals included amphibians, crocodilians, lizards, fish, plesiosaurs, and mammals. And our fun fact of the day is that after the novel Jurassic Park was released in 1990, a flood of dinosaur movies started, and it still continues to this day, over 30 years later. We get to reap the rewards. We do. It also really changed the type of dinosaur movies that were coming out in a very good way. So, first of all... If you do an IMDb search for movies with dinosaur in the description, because you can do these fun advanced searches in IMDb, you'll get 86 results, the first being The Lost World in 1925. So it gets most of them. Mm -hmm. I added in Gertie, the dinosaur, and Brute Force to get 88 dinosaur movies over the last 108 years. You got to start with Gertie. You have to, yes. <laughs> Plus Brute Force is pretty significant. Mm-hmm. The word dinosaur wasn't as big of a draw in the 19-teens when those movies came out, apparently. And, you know, so they didn't necessarily describe it. They would describe it as something else, you know, like a vaudeville act mm -hmm. with an animated creature or something. And I think not everyone knew what the term dinosaur was necessarily, too. Yeah, I was trying to figure that because we know in Victorian times, people didn't know yet. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure when that switched over. I think by 19-teens, a lot of people knew but it certainly wasn't a big draw to movies because these were the first movies that ever had them. So you don't know if people are going to be excited about it. So anyway, that's definitely not a complete list, but it has all of the biggest movies. And of those 88 movies, 62 of them were released after Jurassic Park or 70% of them. Wow. And that's only like 30% of the time. <laughs> yeah. 70% so they of the got movies. much more popular. Basically, they averaged about two per year after the novel was released, compared with only about one every three years before the novel. You could probably say something similar for books, too. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Dinosaurs also became a much more central part of movie plots after Jurassic Park. So prior to Jurassic Park, there were basically only three categories of movies that had dinosaurs in them. 
the worst one by far was the caveman movies. <laughs> <laughs> Those are like Brute Force, One Million Years BC, and Caveman with Ringo Starr. They all have the same format of you've got caveman, cavewoman. They have some sort of romance usually. And then there's all sorts of creatures around messing with them. Usually dinosaurs are just one of those creatures. And sometimes they call them dinosaurs, but they're basically completely unrecognizable as a dinosaur because it could be something like a slurposaur where it's clear somebody just took a chameleon, glued a horn to it, and then filmed it and blew it up and said, oh no, the dinosaur's coming for us. Yeah, sometimes they had good dinosaurs though. Sometimes they did, yeah. Like I think One Million Years BC and some of the others also had pretty good dinosaurs. But In general, those caveman movies, not my favorite of the three main genres. The next one is the Lost World adventure movies. Those are pretty fun. Those include The Lost World, King Kong, and The Land That Time Forgot. Those are all pretty enjoyable. The Land That Time Forgot is pretty funny. It's got things like pterosaurs flying where you can see the cords holding it up Mm -hmm. and they don't flap at all. It's like somebody literally strung a toy pterosaur, like a rubber pterosaur, and just (laughs) moved it around in front of a camera and then cut to people screaming. So those can be really good or not so good. But that's the second type. And then the third type is dinosaur animations and mostly vignettes which I think are my favorite of the three types. So those include Gertie the Dinosaur, Fantasia, and The Land Before Time. All are just dinosaurs going about their dinosaur business. There's no people (laughs) in them. The other two always have lots of people. Oh, Gertie's got people. Yeah, that's true. That's sort of an exception because it's... Fantasia has people, but not in the dinosaur scene. Well, with Gertie too, it's the animation is just of Gertie and then it cuts to a person basically separately talking to Gertie. So that was basically all you had prior to 1990. There were some exceptions, but that was pretty much what was going on prior. You could say like (laughs) pre-JP almost (laughs) as like a time period. After Jurassic Park, the biggest category of dinosaur movies by far is sci-fi fantasy. Mm -hmm. So you get all those things like Terra Nova where people are traveling in time. You get lots of stories about people bringing back dinosaurs and wreaking havoc, all sorts of different movies. Most of them are basically spinoffs of Jurassic Park. But there's all sorts of cool things people do with dinosaurs other than weird caveman recreations. Still a lot of Lost World type movies happen, like all the remakes of King Kong is the same format. But in general... Dinosaurs are usually a much more central part of movies that include them than they were before. So before, like with the caveman movies, it's sort of like there was a dinosaur for a bit and then they move on to the next animal. Now, usually dinosaurs are front and center if there's going to be dinosaurs in a movie. And you can tell that because if you use different data, basically, I searched for the word dinosaur in the title of movies and you get about 60 movies in the IM database that have dinosaur as part of the title. Only 10 of them are from before Jurassic Park, meaning that after Jurassic Park, there have been about 50 movies with Dinosaur in the title. Hmm. And that shows you how much more of a focus they are in the movie than they used to be, which is great. That is. There are also things like, I didn't include all the documentaries too. Oh, yeah. So many documentaries. Whole other category there. Yeah. And just the number of documentaries that have come out since Jurassic Park are through the roof as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we do live in the golden age of dinosaur discovery. Oh, absolutely. So I guess that spills over to golden age of dinosaur media. Mm-hmm. And also we're in a really good time for CGI, which helps. Mm-hmm. Although Gertie 
And some of the other early animation was still <laughs> wonderful. Yes. We didn't need really high-tech computers in order to make cool dinosaur animations. There's plenty of stuff going back over 100 years ago. Although some of the stuff we see today is really cool. Yeah. And the details that you can have with CGI. It is great. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about the topics that we discussed, head over to our website in the show notes for links. That's at inodino.com. Thanks again, and until next time. Good day.